Good morning, everyone. Man, that was a great children's lesson for the new year. I, I, I need a year where the water stays in the bag. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, everyone, uh, this morning, uh, I wanted to, you know, I've gotten a lot of questions. Once the pandemic started, and then we had protests, and then we had riots, and then we uh, had an election, I started getting a lot of emails from all of you about the revelation. You know, are these the signs? My friends are talking about it. I've never read it before. What's it mean? So I thought, well, why don't we start this new year with a three-week series called Revelation Because You Asked. And, uh, and since it was spawned by your questions, I thought, why don't we just keep that going? So during this message, you can actually uh, communicate questions up here to this screen, um, requests for clarification, uh, challenges to what you're hearing. And so here's how you do that. Now, me telling you how to use a cell phone is like a caveman telling you how to drive a nuclear submarine, but I'm just going to read what the directions they gave me. All right, you text the words, word MDirector057 to 22333. That gets you into the session. So you'll want to do that now so you kind of have that sitting there open with you in it. And then if you have a question or a comment or a request for clarification or something, you would text that message to 22333 again. So right now, text the words MDirector057. You can do this if you're on the live stream as well. And uh, text that to 22333, and that gets you in. And then anything you text after that to 22333 appears on this screen. And I will do my best. All right? So I want to start, while you're working that up, to, with just a little bit of uh, what basics on Revelation. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. What is it? What isn't it? Let's dispel some myths kind of right out of the chute here. Revelation is not a secret code that is only now becoming clear. Like they wrote it down and for 2,000 years people couldn't understand what it meant and now we can. It's not like that. Revelation has always made some sense and had some mystery to every generation that's read it. The very first people who read it in the first century understood parts of it and had some mystery on parts of it. And every generation since then, including ours, has had the same experience. So when you read Revelation, it's not so much about predicting the future as it is about reading what's happening in the text, viewing what's happening in our world, and seeing if the two are talking to one another. What can we learn by how Revelation tells us to live in its times about how to live in our times now. And that's what we want to try to do here this morning. So uh, we're, we're going to examine uh, how to prepare for our trial. Now the main question this morning and that I got on email is, are, uh, are these the end times? Is this the end times? And I, I can answer that right out of the gate without any revelation. Yes. Yes. But in Christian theology, the end times began... The moment Jesus rose from the tomb and ascended into heaven. That was the beginning of the end of times. Because now God's plan for salvation and to bring his people into his kingdom was fully revealed and set. Everything after that is God's mission in the world and the mission of churches like us. To tell that good news that God has won the victory and proclaimed it all. And get as many people, help as many people find their way to God as possible until his final coming. 
So maybe what you meant to ask and meant for me to answer was, are these the very end times? Are we like within one generation of that final coming of God or something like that? Okay, my answer to that is, I do not know. I cannot know. And I would like you to be aware of anyone who claims that they know. Because Jesus was asked this very question, when will the Father come? Now, this is the same Jesus who said, everything the Father tells to me, I tell to you. He said that. But when he was asked this question, he said, no one knows the hour of the Father's coming, not even the Son. So if you hear anyone out there on TV or radio or the internet saying they know, that is a person claiming to know more than Jesus Christ. Those types of preachers are to be uh, avoided and, and, and be aware of them. Uh, no one knows, not even the Father knows. Now let me show you a little wisdom my dad shared when I asked him this same question as a kid. He said, look, son, you could step off the curb tomorrow and get hit by the school bus, and that would be the end of the world for you, wouldn't it? So he said, in essence, all of us are living in our... I know, great dad, huh? He, is, he was a great dad. This is true. All of us are living in our very own very end times. All of us just have this time right now um, to follow Christ and to obey his way. And whether Christ comes back in the next five minutes or we still got another 5,000 years, for all of us, we have just this life to follow Christ. All right. So we're going to go now into Revelation chapter 11. But first I want to see if any questions have appeared already. None yet. I wouldn't, I, that's, that's fine. We really haven't gotten into it. Now, Revelation is tough. You either study a whole chapter or you leave it alone. If you pull out just a verse or two, you get in big trouble. So we're going to have to do a whole chapter. So I'm going to have to read to you all of Revelation chapter 11 for today. So let me give you a little outline so you know what's about to, about to hit you. So first, you're going to hear the prophet John told, go and measure the temple. Get out a measuring stick, start measuring the temple. Then you're going to hear God say, now, there's going to be some witnesses in that temple, and they are going to proclaim the word of God, and no one can stop them until the world murders them. Then the world's going to murder those two witnesses, and they're going to celebrate that they're dead. And then... God is going to raise those two witnesses from the dead and take them into his presence. And then the reign of Christ is going to begin. That's what you're about to see happen in Revelation chapter 11. So let's read it together now. When I was given a measuring stick and I was told, go and measure the temple of God. Oh, I've already started it wrong. Let's begin again. Then I was given a measuring stick and I was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the number of worshipers, but do not measure the outer courtyard, for it has been turned over to the nations. They will trample the holy city for 42 months, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during those 1,260 days. These two prophets are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. They have power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. And they have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. When they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit will declare war against them. And he will conquer them and kill them. 
And their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, the city where the Lord was crucified. And for three and a half days, all peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. And all the people who belong to this world will gloat over them and give presents to each other to celebrate the death of the two prophets who had tormented them. But after three and a half days... God breathed life into them and they stood up. Terror struck all who were staring at them. Then a loud voice from heaven called to the two prophets, Come up here! And they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched. At the same time, there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city. 7,000 people died in that earthquake and everyone else was terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second terror has passed, but look, the third terror is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The 24 elders, sitting on their thrones before God, fell with their faces to the ground and worshipped him. And they said, We give thanks to you, Lord, the God Almighty, the one who is and who always was. For now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were filled with wrath, but now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets, as well as your holy people, all who fear your name, from the least to the greatest. It is time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth. Then in heaven, the temple of God was opened and the ark of his covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed and roared, and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. Revelation chapter 11. Now, if you're sitting there right now going, I did not get any of that. Do not feel bad. The Bible is a perplexing book. That's why we commit every week to come and study it. And some of you go out and meet in a home somewhere and study it some more every week. And yet in all of the Bible, Revelation is the most perplexing book. And scholars uh, fairly well agree that chapter 11 is the most perplexing chapter in the most perplexing book in the already perplexing Bible. So we are at the epicenter of hard stuff this morning when we're in Revelation chapter 11. And yet, we're going to work our way through together. So what we're going to do now is I'm just going to take the key symbols and unpack them for you as we try to get meaning from Revelation 11. But first, we want to see... Uh, what uh, questions we have. What is the rapture in our church's view of the rapture? Okay. So the rapture is a view of events at the end of time. Um, It came about in about 1830, so it's actually not a very old belief. Um, We do not teach the rapture here at Lakeland, but let me tell you what it is, because you'll hear it a lot, especially in America especially uh, radio and television, especially if you grew up a Baptist, charismatic Pentecostal, or um, non-denominational. Now, I've been a member of all three of those kinds of churches and uh, have great respect and love, but I I just don't go there on this end-time piece. But the rapture idea is that uh, Christ's return will be preceded by a lot of people who are faithful to Christ disappearing from the earth suddenly and without explanation. And then there'll be a a time 
called a tribulation when things get really, really bad in the absence of every Christian on earth. And that is a last chance for folks to decide they want to follow Christ. And then Christ, uh, usually in this theology, destroys the earth and everything uh, either goes to heaven or hell at that point. So um, we uh, don't actually teach rapture theology um, here in Lakeland and in a lot of other churches throughout the world and for all of history before the early 1800s. We teach a new creation theology that Christ came, he ascended, the end times begin, and this is the tribulation. All the horrors that have happened in the world that have tested faith and tested people. And all the opportunities to come to Christ and to follow Christ. But Christ will return. Not in one coming, going, and then coming back. If you believe in a rapture, you actually have to believe in a third coming of Christ, which you can't find in Scripture either. But rather in one return. One return preceded by the resurrection of the dead, the restoration of Christ's kingdom, and the beginning of what we call the new creation. Heaven and earth fully restored as God intended it to be in relationship. If you want to start an email thread with me asking more about that in the weeks to come, please, please do that. I would love to to talk more with you about that. See, what if we are forced to take the COVID vaccine in order to buy and sell? Should we take that as a sign that the prophecy of Revelation 13, 17 is coming true? This is the mark of the beast. We'll be talking more about the mark of the beast next week, but let's, uh, let's answer the question now. Um, the mark of the beast, right, is this mark uh, that goes on your hand and your head in Revelation, and then you can't buy and sell. So probably how first century people would understand that is because uh, is that they were, remember, that everything was done in guilds back then. Trade guilds, plumbers guild, carpenters guild. There was all kinds of guilds, smith guilds. A lot of these guilds met in temples and would begin with a sacrifice to the god of that temple and a sacrifice to the Roman emperor. Christians would not do either one of those things. They would not sacrifice to a pagan god nor bow down to worship the emperor. Well, if you're a member of the Plumbers Guild and you won't take part in the opening of the meeting, you're out of the Plumbers Guild and you can't be a plumber in Rome anymore. Now you're broke. So they were using their religious following to get them uh, to renounce Christianity and get back to worshiping the emperor like you're supposed to. The closest parallel in our modern world is, is right now in China. They haven't gone full tilt, but a couple of years ago in China, they started assigning a number to each person that indicated their value to the People's Republic. One of the things that would lower your value is being a Christian. They started putting up banners on the street saying, remember, it is unlawful to teach children Christianity. So they're getting very close to saying, they're not quite there yet, but they're getting very close to saying, if you become a Christian, you're not going to be allowed to participate in this society. So look for things like that when you look for the mark of the beast. And they do exist in the world even today. A COVID vaccine is probably not a renouncement of Christ. And I would, I would not want us in the church to set ourselves up where something uh, valuable for health we see as a sign of worshiping the devil or something like that. Um, how many of you have ever sat in a room with someone crippled by polio? Okay. Uh, how many of you know someone who is rendered deaf or blind uh, because their uh, mother had measles? Okay. Older folks. Older folks. 
Uh, that's because there was a time when my dad was just telling me about this weekend. You couldn't go to the public pool unless you'd had your polio booster. You couldn't attend school unless you had your measles vaccine. This is how these crippling things that my generation and younger have not faced were removed from our society by mandatory vaccinations. Um, Remember that Luke was a physician. Our Lord honors the practice of medicine and the advances that it brings. So unless that COVID vaccine comes with, oh, by the way, I also no longer follow Jesus Christ and I bow down and worship the director of the CDC instead. We're probably not in the same neighborhood. I hope that answers the question. But if you would like to email with me in the weeks to come, please do that. But yeah, let's not set ourselves up where uh, trying to address a health crisis becomes some sort of a mystical uh, following of the Antichrist. What do the olive trees represent? Okay, good. Yeah, that's taking us right where we're getting ready to go. Thank you. Um, so let's, let's, uh, I'll start there, Russ, on slides. Let's skip down to that since the person asked. So there, it said there was witnesses and there was, uh, and the witnesses were a lamp, a lampstand and an olive tree. What's that mean? God's witnesses are a lampstand and an olive tree. Whenever you have a, um, symbol like this in Revelation that's mystifying, first question always to ask, is this already somewhere in the Old Testament. And, and this is. This is in Zechariah. And so then you go back and ask, what did it mean then? Because John, the writer of Revelation, is just reminding us to bring that meaning forward to our time. So if you go back and you look at Zechariah chapter 4, verse 2, it's another guy having a vision. It starts out and says, what do you see now, he asked. I answer, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Around the bowl I see seven lampstands, each having seven spouts with wicks. And I see two olive trees, one on each side of the bowl. So there they are, the olive trees and the lampstands. When was Zechariah written? Zechariah was written when their temple was destroyed and they were trying to rebuild it. And every time they'd get about partway rebuilt, an enemy nation would come and stop their construction project. So the people were asking, when will we get back to worshiping God? When will we be free again? When will we be allowed to build our temple again? And Zechariah is telling them, God is going to send you a lampstand and an olive tree to stand guard at that temple, and it will be finished, and you will be worshiping me again. If you keep reading that chapter, he says, I'm going to send you a priest and a king, and they're going to see you through. Now we know from Christianity, the study in the book of Hebrews that our priest and king are in one, Jesus. And so, if you're reading Revelation and you're asking, when will we get back to worshiping? If you're a person in China saying, when will we be able to worship? When will we be able to build a church without somebody stopping us? Revelation assures you, God has sent you a priest and a king in Jesus, and it will happen. It will happen. Okay, Russ, I want to roll back now to the 42 months. This is another symbol. Remember, the prophets were allowed to preach and couldn't be stopped for 42 months. And then uh, the, they, 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 get, uh, they preach for 1,260 days. Remember that part? And then they get killed and they lay dead in the street for three and a half days. What's with all these numbers? Well, 42 months happens to be three and a half years. 1,260 days also happens to be Three and a half years. 
And then when the prophets lay dead, they lay dead for three and a half days. What's up with the three and a half? You actually probably already know the answer to this and don't know that you know. Uh, In the Bible, in in a lot of ancient cultures, what is the perfect holy number? Seven. Seven, right? Some of you say it's a lucky number. Perfect holy number is seven. Seven is the number of completeness, fullness. Everything's good. Remember when Peter wanted to show off for Jesus? He goes, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Eh? Of course, Jesus was not impressed. He said, no, Peter, seven times, 70 times. So he's saying perfect times, perfect times 10, infinity times. Peter was like, oh, I should have thought of that. But seven was perfect. So how long did these prophets get to preach? For seven years? No, not forever. Three and a half. Then they get trampled and abused. How long does that go on? Does that go on forever? No, just three and a half years. Then the prophets get killed. Are they dead forever? No, now we'll shrink it down to days. And it's only three and a half days. Revelation is saying whatever is going on in the world. It's not going to last forever. So stay true to Christ. Follow him. Be an example for him. And whatever bad times you're in, God will not let them go on for seven or 70 times seven, just three and a half. It will pass. It will pass. Now, who are these uh, two witnesses? Let's go back. I left out a piece. The two witnesses that are allowed to preach, remember that they had powers said one of them could shut the sky so that it would not be allowed to rain while they prophesied. And one of them could turn rivers and oceans into blood and, uh, and strike the world with as many plagues as they wanted to. This should remind us of Elijah, the prophet from the Old Testament, who could shut the sky to withhold rain while he prophesied. And it should remind us of who could turn rivers into blood and strike the world with plagues. Moses. Moses turned the rivers and and struck Egypt with ten plagues. Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. The law and the prophets. Remember when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain and Peter and the others went up to see him? Who was standing on each side of him? Moses and Elijah. The law and the prophets giving witness to the Christ. Revelation is saying that this, the scriptures, the law and the prophets are the witness that have told the world everything they need to know. But that the world will trample on this. The world will tear this down. The world will celebrate that this is dead. But it won't be dead. God will bring it back. So follow these uh, these laws and these prophets. Stay true to Christ. This abuse will not go on long. Okay, lots of questions. Okay. All right. Um, I apologize. Some of these aren't quite in the revelation zone. So they're great questions, but I, I want to stay in the revelation zone. Here's one. Would the ID chip be considered the mark of the beast? Could it easily change for demographics identity to identifying Christians or non-Christians? Right. So ID chips and things like that uh, have been discussed since the 70s. Um, you know, a lot of you have them in your pets. So if your pet's ever lost, you can turn a GPS on her. You could put it on your children. So if they've ever lost, you could find it. But people are nervous to have an ID chip that could tell where they are all the time. 
Um, you know, what if things turn bad? Could they find you? So I'll let you decide how you feel about having chips planted in your body that tell where you are at all times. I don't even carry a cell phone, mostly because I don't want my wife to notice that I'm close to the grocery store and could I pick up a few things. But, um, but uh, could that be the mark of the beast? I don't know. I don't know. We're not there yet. I mean, I could see how the technology could be swung to do that. But uh, you know, we're not kind of there yet. We're not really facing that. I guess anything's possible. I'd want to see what we plan to do with that. It's funny that you're asking this because I just lost my wallet this week. And I can't find it anywhere. And I do kind of wish I could just beat my wrist at the grocery store this week. Because I don't have any way to buy or sell nothing. I got my own mark of the beast. I can't buy or sell because I lost all the contents in my wallet. And I have no ID. But uh, I'll let you decide. I don't have a word I don't have a word on that one way or the other. Okay. All right. Let's do one more um, symbol from Revelation. Remember the part where it said, he called the witnesses up to heaven. And then it says, the world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Have you heard this verse before? You have. Do you know you have? Who knows they have? Hallelujah chorus. Hallelujah chorus. When the words drop down to where you can barely hear what they're saying and then swell up again, this is what they're saying. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign or yeah, forever and ever. See, a lot of people say Revelation, it's a scary book, it's a dark book, it's a worrisome book. But that's not why it was written. It was written to say, look at these dark times, look at these horrors, but then look, in heaven God is still on his throne. Look at these dark times again and these plagues and wars, but look, Christ will return. And it does this four times as you read Revelation. And chapter 11 culminates in these words. So I got this video I want to show you. I got this video I want to show you. One, because it includes the song, which inspired these words. But it also kind of makes this point. That at some point, no matter what time we're in, we might be anywhere. When the return of Christ takes place. You might be sitting in the food court at the mall. You just don't know. That's why we want to live for Christ today. So watch this video. It's beautiful and it's fun. uh, And it has the quote from Revelation. But also watch it for the feel of what it would be like to suddenly have the kingdom break in. And what's important and what's not important when that sudden moment comes upon us. Let's watch the video together.
I hope whenever you think of the end times that you'll always think of this video. Think less about wars and plagues and violence and horrors and think more about what inspired Handel when he read Revelation. That those things happen, no doubt. Then comes the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And that's the hope we live for. And when that happens, only one question matters. Did you and I take part in the violence? Did you and I indulge in destructive pleasures? Did you and I turn away from Christ? I don't want Christ to find me hunkered down in a bunker with ammo. That doesn't seem to be the Christian missionary spirit. I want to be found bringing love. I want to be found bringing peace. Even if it is at the end of the barrel of a gun. I want to be found offering the forgiveness of Christ. I want to be found that way in my family. I want to be found that way in my church. I want to be found that way in my work. I want to be found that way um, online. I want to be an agent of redemption. Wherever we go, the kingdom of God should follow in our wake. This question comes to every generation one way or another. So what Revelation chapter 11 says to us this morning is that things will get worse and suddenly a whole lot better. Though times are not always good, God is always on the throne. The treatment of the people of God in the world can be shameful. It doesn't mean God's not in control. Faith can seem dead and buried, but it never is. And it also reminds us we're going to suffer. I don't want to. You don't want to. But we're going to. We are here To imitate Christ Jesus. But you really can't imitate Christ Jesus fully until you suffer. That's the key part of who he is. That he suffers and suffers well and clings to righteousness and truth and love through his suffering. That's when our test comes to really go to graduate level Christianity. When you suffer. I'm a biology guy by past training, and uh, I couldn't resist this one video of sequoias. Sequoias, they represent so much. They're some of the oldest things on earth. They're massive, nearly indestructible, and yet they cannot grow without suffering. Watch this video. Giant sequoias are the largest trees on earth. They can grow for more than 3,000 years. But without fire, they cannot reproduce. The giant sequoias really are born of fire. Fire gives them three things they need for regeneration. The first one is it punches a hole in the forest. That allows there to be more light and more water for the sequoia seedlings. The second thing it does is it heats the cones up in the mature sequoia trees without harming the trees. And those cones open up. And there's a rain of seeds on the ground. And the final thing it's done is it cleared away all the leaves that have built up because sequoia seeds need to hit bare mineral soil before they can germinate and survive well.
then the winter storms come in and bury them in a blanket of snow. And then when the spring comes, they have the ideal conditions. It's warmer, it's really wet, and those seeds will take off and become seedlings. From their birth among the ashes, these seedlings have become the groves we see today. With trees nearly 300 feet tall. Over 3,000 years, think of what a giant sequoia has seen. You know, how many times did Native Americans sit at the base, have lunch, look up, and marvel at the crown of the sequoia? And now we're doing it again today. It's humans just living their lives under these trees for millennia. You may come to the place in your life where you feel like you've been burned over, fire burned through and left you with nothing. And then to add insult to injury, you get buried in snow. Remember this lesson of the trees and the lesson of revelation. There may well come a time, if you give that time to God, that you say, I didn't want to go through it and I would never want to go through it again. But it has made some things possible that have grown me into the follower of Jesus I am today. I hope this message has blessed you and encouraged you. That's what revelation is meant to do. Sorry if I did not get to your question. We'll keep some of those because we're going to keep going next week. Next week, we're going to turn back and answer the question that I got a lot. Who is the Antichrist? Ooh, all right. We'll take a vote and get that sorted. No, we will not have a vote. We will, um, but we we will begin our study there next week. God bless you, and thank you. Thank you for your questions and for your interest.